Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of the Revenue Marketing Report powered by CaliberMind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Ryan Salazar. Ryan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Camilla. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm really excited to be here and, and chat through kind of analytics impact on, on everything. Yeah, so Brian Salazar, I've uh, been doing analytics for almost 10 years now, which makes me feel weird saying it out loud. But, uh, I, you know, currently I'm, I'm leading analytics from, at VTS, um, doing everything from product, go to market, finance, all that kind of stuff. I've run GTM teams before. Um, yeah, all things analytics. Uh, really excited to be here. Okay, and I I love that I'm not the only one with dogs in the background. So for people <laughs> listening in, we're still in a pandemic, and it's still uh, life happens. So <laughs> um, I've got my mom's dog here, and the other two dogs locked in the back room, so we don't have a lot of playing happening. But you know, I am excited to talk about today's topic because I think only analysts truly understand how essential it is to have trust across the business when it comes to reporting numbers. Um, And today we're going to talk a little bit about a stat out there I keep hearing over and over. I think it was even published in the Harvard Business Review. I know it was in Forbes. 80% of CEOs don't trust or are unimpressed with their CMOs. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think what what ultimately comes down to is is really understanding and and defining kind of what that interaction looks like. Obviously, I've never been uh, a marketing leader. And I think what we really should define is is kind of what the expectation is between that, between a CEO and a CMO. You know, is there how granular, how tactical, how strategic do we want to go? So I think I'd love to start by just like talking through like, how do you see the role of CMO where, you know, especially where the CEO's visibility is concerned? Well, having just gone through a board meeting a couple days ago, (laughs) I think what investors and the rest of the executive team are really looking for is somebody who can identify problems and respond to them quickly. And a lot of that has to do with understanding what your data means and how you can impact it. Some companies I've seen require, you know, the North Star is their MQL number. And other companies, it's pipeline and revenue, but rarely are companies quite evolved enough to understand that marketing is touching all pipeline and revenue because it takes a degree of brand awareness to make that conversation more palatable between the prospect and sales. So when I'm presenting to the board, I do tend to start with the early indicators. So is engagement heading in the right direction? What do our MQL numbers look like? And then I really spend most of my time focusing on pipeline and revenue. And fortunately, we've agreed to use specific attribution models with the understanding that we can't track everything. And it's really just we're looking for directionally accurate. And even if there are mistakes in our data, if they are consistent mistakes, that's okay. So what they're really looking for is for me to say something along the lines of, hey, I noticed pipeline creation was behind. Any of these digital tactics would take approximately three months. We are starting to do them now, but we moved lower down in the funnel and are doing X, Y, and Z. Does that 
line up with. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's that's first off, that's great. Like I, I, I have a bunch of notes around time boxing and, and understanding the, the the development and lag and uh, in creation. So I think you know when we talk about the lack of trust, what I've seen and kind of where I've seen pressure um, from an analytical perspective to kind of provide this this information is is really around like some of those things, those key um, items you touched on, you know, understanding and a shared definition. Like I think we really need to understand, share a definition of what the funnel looks like, where ownership lies, and ultimately like uh, when we're considering either, you know, revenue targeting, revenue forecasting, or just, you know, just in period health checks, like understanding like, we budgeted for this, this will not have an impact until X or Y and, and making sure that everyone's aligned. So, cause ultimately like what you did and what I've seen before and what I never want is a senior sales leader telling me like, you told me MQLs were going to be this and right now my sales team is very dry. And, and to me that just sends shivers down my spine. Cause it's like, okay, well clearly there was a lack of definite or a lack of clarity here and, and we just need to, to take ownership. So I think, you know, going back to your original question, like I think they're just ultimately what we need is, is, a, a CEO that that is invested in the marketing organization and, and invested to the point where they're willing to spend the time to understand what uh, the you know every organization is different, but ultimately what the organization's marketing life cycle looks like and in kind of how what they're what they're indexing on to see success. And so I think it, it's it's education, trust, but uh, you know, and, and without those two kind of things, it, it falls apart relatively quickly. Where I've seen it go off the rails uh, is when a marketing leader comes in without understanding what their current ecosystem looks like and what is capable in terms of reporting and how much work needs to be done to get it there. So if we come into the business making promises about hitting certain KPIs and we can't even report on them, that's that's going to hurt your credibility with the uh, rest of the executive team when you have to go to them and explain, oops. We actually can't measure that, but that's that's my new goal this quarter. <laughs> and I've seen it. Yeah, I, I've seen the exact same thing, and I think kind of this this segues nicely into kind of you know what what we see as as analysts or analytics functions top responsibilities to kind of drive that alignment and and you know um, again documenting coming up with a shared understanding of, of kind of what our, our typical you know I hate to call it a sales funnel because marketing and sales sit so so uh, segmented in reality they should sit very close together a lot of times and and so we'll call it a sales funnel for, for lack of a better term but you know understanding what that funnel looks like you know and that includes like the levers to kind of get see success and ultimately like the time it takes to get there I'd say like making sure that you do drive like shared ownership just because we're, we're seeing a, a lag in in, in you know one avenue whether it be the top or the bottom of the funnel or the, even the middle like that does not mean there's an easy fix like there has to be some sort of like you know a hand re, uh hand across the aisle like dragging people across the line and, and whether it takes like additional support additional dollars uh, just a redefinement of what success looks like in certain instances which is not always comfortable but i think there, there's a couple key points in some of them being like responsibility handoff. Like I know I just said, we need to reach across the aisle, but at the same time, like we need to a shared ownership. Like I've seen a lot of times where, you know, our sales organization starts at SDR and then, and then from there, that's all sales. And then another organization's SDR sits very close to marketing. We just need to understand what those ultimate spheres of influence are, because to your point, marketing does touch everything. Brand is everything. It's going to make drive a lot more confidence in the sales process. But at the same time, like if we're going to measure and impact, uh, like, measure and metricize like actual impact, we really need to define those cutoffs and kind of what that segments in the funnel look like. At the same time, <laughs> when we're talking about going back to the reporting aspect of things, um, 
This is where uh, analytics and operations need to work very closely together. We have all this wonderful world of SaaS tools that I think provide a lot of visibility and document a lot of things, but the adage garbage in, garbage out is very true. We need to make sure that we are, are, are like working together and making sure that process is being followed. We're thinking through things, not just from a function standpoint, but also a downstream consumption standpoint. We need to make sure that like what you're building is going to be useful for reporting out. If you're just getting something to work, then that, that may that will be a very short-sighted solution and ultimately will run into problems. Yeah. So going back to the boardroom conversation, one of the first things I'm asked by investors is how I define engagement, how I define the MQL. What they're really looking for is an awareness of where your business is and if you're defining those things in alignment with what stage your company is in. So if you're telling... Let me restate that. So working with an analyst... I need to be able to ask the right questions. And what I'm really looking for, so analyst, if you're not being asked the right questions, just know that your CMO is setting expectations with the rest of the organization. And if they don't understand how press releases hit your, your indicators that you can measure, then they're going to set the wrong expectations. <laughs> And when it comes to defining an MQL, absolutely, you need cross-functional buy-in, you need to define it across the organization, but you need to work with your CMO to make sure that they understand what that is and can communicate it back to you. So not everybody, and this is on the CMO really, not everybody is comfortable admitting what they don't know. I think CMOs need to be a lot more introspective about what they think they know, what they know they know, and who they need to talk to to bridge that gap. I would I would completely agree, um, and I would say the same thing for analysts. You know, we 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 come in with um, you know some sort of technical background generally, and, and ultimately like, we see the back end. And we we expect to make sense of everything, and I think there's a lot of times that where context is missing, or um, we need to make sure that you know we're not marching ahead regardless of where our stakeholders are. We need to be in that position where we are communicating with marketers, communicating with sales teams and understanding what they need rather than just kind of providing what we see as, as, as most successful or most impactful because we have blind spots too. And I think that's, that's really important. Yeah. And I've noticed executive teams, some of their pet peeves, uh, marketers tend to use terminology that's adopted by the rest of the business and is used in a different way. So saying words like revenue you're going to get chewed out if you're not saying bookings instead, if you really mean bookings. So it's really important to when finance does their presentations and uses a bunch of terminology, chances are they mean it in a different way than we're using it internally in marketing and just avoid those terms as much as possible. ROI. Oh, another hot button. Have you seen any other terms where a marketing leader will say something and you watch the rest of the executive team cringe? Absolutely. Two off the top of my head, CAC. CAC is customer lifetime, customer lifetime value. It's, those are, you know, one of the first, uh, I think it was maybe three years ago, I, I just started a, a job at, uh, and um, my senior vice president of marketing, excellent gentleman, comes to me, he's like, hey, we want to understand CAC. And I'm like, okay, well, there is a lot that goes into that. Do we consider personnel cost? At what point, again, going back to those handoff you know, conversations, at what point do we want us to cut off the cost? Like, is this media margin? Like, what does that look like? And I think to your point, just those, but those, those terms and those, those acronyms are, are incredibly impactful, but they're also very triggering to a lot of people when we're talking at that level. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. No, I'm having flashbacks to a presentation that was given where somebody was talking about how things were moving up and to the right, and that was a good thing, and it was a churn chart. I think Christopher Antonopoulos gave that example, too, and it is just not good. Oh, so some of the signs I've seen that you've burned credibility, other people are reporting your numbers. Very much so. If you're not sure where you stand with the rest of the business and you have the sales team telling you what your numbers really are. Yeah. And I, I think that, that that segues right into kind of the, you know, uh, that other, you know, we have the we have the problem or the, which is a lack of trust. And, you know, I think one of the things that you've kind of touched on is one of those symptoms associated with it. And and as soon as you have duplicative work streams and, and people taking things off of your plate with you know, with or without your consent, I, th I think that that becomes, that is one of those symptoms that things are kind of moving in the wrong direction. And, and you know, on top of that, there's, there's obviously like just a lack of, a lack of clarity on ownership. And, and again, I, I hate to, to harp on this word, but I'm, I'm very big on it. It's just ownership is everything. And I, I think, you know, it ultimately lends a, a sense of confidence to the organization and also lends, lends um, a, a leanness to, to like working within, you know, what most people would work in nowadays in startups. And, and I think we really need to make sure that we are defining ownership very clearly because what you're going to have is to your point, when we talk about revenue or any of these things that, that are very, you know, for the un initiated very obvious business concepts you're going to have wildly different interpretations and so like just making sure that when things are are, are being kind of put out there into the into the air that there's uh, an understanding like in, in a contextual understanding that this is coming from a specific point of view and um it should be taken as thus um rather than you know finance being the source of truth for revenue that's not marketing's reality that's not sales reality and, and making sure we're clear on those kind of things so I'd like to take a couple steps back and talk through some of the potholes that uh, marketing faces when it comes to their own data and how we can kind of equip the leadership team to speak to that a little bit more eloquently with the rest of the organization. So I'm thinking specifically, I've worked with CEOs who were in finance or in technology, and you have the same problem, even though they come from different places, and that everything is very linear. They have an idea of how things should work, and everything needs to be balanced down to the penny. And on the technology side, they equate digital with measurable, which we all know with privacy, and it's kind of a mess. It's hard to communicate that marketing is dealing in a world of massive transactions for a single sale. So how have you seen people successfully, have you seen people successfully navigate that conversation? Yeah, it, absolutely. And you know, this is a, this is a great question. I, I think what I've seen done is one, again, going back to that shared understanding, like knowing what is unknowable at a certain point allows for progress moving forward. So like to your point, massive amounts of transactions. And, and we talk about the, the, you know, marketing's brand aspect like it's very uh, you know it very much un intangible and, not, and hard to, to kind of measure you can i can tell you oh coincidentally when we we aired this ad we saw an uptick in mqls or our our, our you know our, our website traffic shot up x percent i can't tell you exactly when that's going to stop or when that's going to start again um that being said i think what we try to do and i think what is ultimately crucial to any marketing team's success is outside of kind of that uh, knowing the unknowable is is um uh, attribution modeling. <laughs> like I, I hate to, I hate to say it, but like we need at least a shared definition, even if it is imperfect in most, in, in most or some instances where we can start 
pushing forward and making and drawing the line. You know, this comes in, in the form of you know, um, again, given the wide reach that marketing can have, is you know, multi-touch attribution, assigning value, and and making sure that we do have a standardized process for capture, collection, and ultimately like benchmarking of these metrics. You know, I think you get into this weird again nether region of of what constitutes a marketing activity at a certain point, but I, I do think the starting point is is a shared attribution model for success. That's that's really the the the, the key crux of any any marketing reporting really. Yeah. And I'm just going to come out and say it will never be perfect. I know it's a little controversial for somebody who's with an attribution. It's just the reality. We can't measure mindshare. We can't, we can't measure mindshare. We can't read minds. We don't want to read minds. It just is what it is. Never going to be perfect. However, there is a reason why we do it. If we only measure one point in time, we're completely neglecting the fact that it does take a massive amount of transactions to push a deal over the line. Yeah, 100% agree. That's a great point. Yeah, and, and you know, moving further down the line, ultimately, like, the, the point, my ethos when it, when it comes to analytics is, is you know, uh, we're here to, to kind of help be a hand on the wheel and drive better decision making. And this comes in the form of whether we're talking about marketing, sales, product, whatever it may be we're ultimately here to help drive a decision. That doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be the perfect decision. To your point, there's always going to be gaps in knowledge. And, and ultimately, if as long as those gaps are consistent, you know, Google being Google will probably make those things inconsistent over time. But, you know, that being said, like what we're trying to do is, is empower stakeholders and, you know, those subject matter experts to make decisions. I want to, I want to be able to look my demand generation team in the eye and just know with confidence that you can go step into, you know, the next period or, or set up when you're going through, you know, quarterly budgeting process and making the right decisions that, that you've historically seen success on. If it's our events team, I want to, I want you to understand exactly how you fit into the funnel. Attribution models are historically hard on offline events. And I think making sure that like at the very least people are making well-informed decisions, maybe not perfect decisions. That's, that's kind of the ultimate goal as far as I see it. I don't know. I think attribution is one of the, with offline events, is one of the biggest selling points. Well, depending on what we're talking about. So if we're talking about trade shows and field events, it's a great tool to show like the long tail, what I call the long tail effect, which is which deals that are already in flight are being influenced. If you don't have a multi-touch attribution model, you have no idea. It's also a really great way to tie digital efforts to get people to your booth, to pipeline and revenue. So it just depends. Offline events where people are talking to each other at the playground and recommend a product. Yeah, we're, mm -mm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's yeah, tough. That's, that's fair. That's fair. That's totally fair. Yeah. I think, I think they, they have gotten better and I, I, I will, I will confess like I've seen it done better than in certain instances, worse than others. I think what it, what it ultimately does come down to is, is this is that, that again, that like peeling back of the onion where we can, we can start setting KPIs or, or benchmarks at specific levels. Um, when we talk about, um, you know, uh, field events or, or trade shows or, or whatever that, that big annual event that every company has every year with the, with the single word title, I think what we're looking for is, is ultimately something like dollars in the room and how much we've actually touched. You know, it's not necessarily driving the initial experience because I, from my personal standpoint, I'm never going to attend an event without a company that I haven't probably gone on their website or clicked a paid ad for. So this, again, to your point, is crucial in terms of multi-touch attribution. We need to make sure that we're not just looking at the first or the last engagement uh, that the customer has or the potential customer has with our, with our brand or with our funnel. We need to make sure that we're understanding every touch that, that drags the deal across the line. 
Yeah, and I'm having flashbacks to marketers calling me crying because they were judged on lead generation metrics and they knew several deals were touched or meetings took place with deals in flight and they had no way to show that. I didn't mean to make this about attribution. I think attribution is a very divisive topic for people. I think some people have tried it and failed. It's very much a garbage in, garbage out proposition. And if you oversell the solution and don't touch on its weak points to the executive team, they're not going to trust it. Have you seen similar? Does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. Especially when we start crossing the line. If we're talking to a marketing team or marketing leadership, I I think there's a relatively clear understanding. They've been through this wash cycle. They know what it feels like. As soon as we start broadcasting those numbers outward, then that's that's where this confusion starts happening. And, and I think this is one of those times where, where um, we need that well-educated leadership team that's seen, you know, or at least if not seen, at least willing to hear out kind of the expectations. Uh, one, one instance comes to mind where um, we are, I think it was end of year planning and we're talking, we're talking about marketing success and i'm like whoa you know this is this is ultimately what we generated and and our sales leader comes in and and he's an incredibly bright gentleman and he's just like i don't see the success here revenue is down i'm like oh oh man like there 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 needs to be that that contextual understanding that just because we're spending dollars on you know even at the at the quickest turnaround from my point of view is something like a google adwords or, or bing ads like does not mean that revenue is going to be walking in the door the next day there has to be a lot of engagement and a lot a lot of work both on the marketing side and the sales side to get this deal in there and i, I think there's just to your point, we need to make sure that we have an educated an educated and flexible understanding of kind of what success looks like as the business continues to mature. Yes. And I think part of this lack of trust on the CEO's point, I've seen this happen quite a bit where marketers will lead with the best indicators that they're seeing moving in the right direction instead of acknowledging it was a bad quarter overall. And that really comes across as tone deaf. It's not that we can't talk about the successes. I think it behooves all marketing leaders to start by acknowledging what went wrong and what they're doing to correct it and when they first noticed it. Do you think that would be beneficial? Do you, have you seen other things work? You know, I'm sure it's out there and thankfully I actually have not. I know it's out there because I've seen another other functions of my function in general. Like, you know, we, we've pot committed to reporting that we are guaranteed is accurate. And we come to find out six months later, we're missing something that's very crucial to, to kind of what that looks like. So I, I'm definitely not going to say it's not out there. I think luckily I, I've, I've sat with marketing leaders who, who have been very transparent in both their, their wins and their losses. Um, but yes, it is incredibly important. Hiding, hiding the obvious only just reflects poorly on the organization and it leaves us unprepared to kind of make uh, those, those quick turns that we need to moving forward. I, I would say piling onto that, I, don't, I, I really hope you haven't seen this, but I have seen where marketing, regardless of the, the actual specific function, just gets lumped into, into shared, like a single ownership. Like I, I understand that they're adjacent, but organic search and demand generation are very different functions. And to have a single leader who is unexperienced in one and experienced the other take those on that is trying not only for the individual who gets saddled with that responsibility but also the team and and ultimately the company that has to deal with that so we need to we need a deeper understanding of what marketing is in in kind of making sure that we're equipped as a company to kind of play to those strengths strengths 
I think a nuance to that point is I have seen functional marketers who aren't savvy enough in their own technology and leading indicators. We've seen this resurgence of marketing by gut. I think some of that is uh, the backlash to trying to measure everything and not having a ton of success. But what would you say as an analyst are some of the most effective ways to really start building a culture of data-driven mindfulness? Yeah, again, a, a great question. I think, you know, um, just like most things in life, I think there, there are a couple of tenets that, that really engage and in, in, in provide more effective adoption. Barrier to entry. You know, I have a passion for tooling. I got it from a couple of people that, I, that I've worked for previously and, and or worked with previously. And I, I think um, it's really stuck with me. I think ultimately what we need to make sure is that that if all the way down to the individual marketer up to the CEO, they are looking at a shared definition of what success looks like, shared KPI, shared metrics. And ultimately, we cannot have someone spending 20 minutes searching for those things, logging in to find those things. We need a single source of truth. I, it's incredibly important. Um, on top of that, I think... We we need well, one of the old the, one of the things that I always say during um, when I'm when I'm talking to, to people about analytics is analytics without context is useless. I can tell you right now that company X has ten million dollars in revenue. I have no idea whether that's good or bad. You need to tell me, and I need to sit with you, and I need to understand what that looks like to ultimately provide the insights that are meaningful for you. So making sure that analysts are not put in an ivory tower or siloed in, 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 a, in an individual work stream, making sure that they're sitting with their functional teams and, and, and gleaning a lot of that context so they can be proactive and provide you know, forward-looking insights and making sure that we're thinking about the things, the, same, the things in the same way that you all are. Like that, I think those are the two really big tenets. Analytics with context and uh, you know, barriers to entry when, when looking at data. So as a marketing leader, we have weekly data syncs. And it's my expectation that my team is on top of their data, but we kind of use an analyst as a uh, backstop. So if people aren't adopting the, the data and they're not really sure where to go, we have somebody who can guide them and help them get on board. Have you seen similar reporting cadences work well? What do you prefer in terms of how often you meet with your team? This is a, this is a double-edged sword in my, in my opinion. Ultimately, like I, 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 I've spent a lot of time in startups, so this is this is where my point of view is coming from. We have things in a very, it's very there's a disarray, a general disarray. So like there's there's dirty data, there's there's lack of understanding, there's duplicative reports that are slightly different for some reason unknown to anyone else besides the people who were created created those reports. So I think. I am of the mind that I want to empower, and I think self-serve analytics is obviously the, that holy grail that anybody in my position is is clamoring for because we want to empower you to make those decisions. But I think there does need to be a level of, uh, I'll use the term partnership. I think any any development of new insights or anything like that doesn't necessarily have to start with us, but it should be signed off by that by those teams just to make sure that there is they're looking at the data correctly. And it's not necessarily a, a nuance of, of understanding or time with the data. It's There are nuances in, 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 in I think, given the, the tumultuous environment that is is marketing and, and is a company in general, it's hard to identify those things without seeing all the all the kind of skeletons in the closet that, that um, from an analyst perspective, uh, we do with the data. Yeah, and I consider myself extremely lucky to have all the technology and in place. So we have automated reporting. Nobody has to go run and try to wrangle all the data. And it's not a quarterly affair because of that. 
I think companies who can't make the investment in analytics are at quite the disadvantage because it it takes so long to pull everything together that it, it's not worth doing on a weekly basis. In those cases, I would hope that functional teams are responsible for looking in their key systems that they're in every day and using that to make decisions. You make a good point. You can't make a universal statement. I think the goal should be to have those key metrics available on a weekly basis. It's not necessarily realistic. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that I've really seen success with is forcing that weekly cadence. And obviously this comes with uh, some level of maturity from the analytics side. We have, uh, it's painful and it's tedious to, to develop, but we have a shared deck that we walk through and, and you know, these are marketing's KPIs, these are sales KPIs. And I think reinforcing that view of what those things look like week in, week out, and obviously adding and kind of iterating where we see business value, but continuing to show those same, those same metrics, again, Consistency, even if there's there's um, error or missing data, is still I think very worthwhile. And I think we just need to get everyone speaking the same language. And and when I say like leadership, I don't mean just marketing. I want sales in the room. I want post sales in the room. I want support in the room, just so everyone understands this is what success looks like. This is how you can help. I want marketing to know that sales is struggling, and vice versa. I want um, you know post sales to know that oh uh, you know marketing is is over indexing and and they're blowing their target at the water because that's ultimately going to inform decisions that everyone people are going to have to make down the, down the line as well. So I think shared visibility is, is incredibly crucial as well. Oh, those are such great points. And don't assume that people know what those numbers mean. So I think it's extremely beneficial for the analysts to be in the room with those folks because they can provide additional business context. And then vice versa, I've known a lot of an analysts who are highly curious, which is wonderful, and able to kind of help fill in some of the gaps around what influences those, those numbers and where they might want to start looking. It's just a great synergy to have. So totally recommend that people at least consider adopting some sort of cadence. Yeah, I, I think one of the, one of the, again, one of those adages that I always spit out is analytics should have a seat at the table. I think it's, it's an incredibly important function and, and um, we're here to support. We're here to, to help you make informed decisions. And I, I understand we may not have all the context, we may not understand the strategy of, of what it takes to be a successful sales function or, or, even, or a successful marketing function, but we're here to your point to learn and to help drive those decisions. Even if we're a fly on the wall, I think it's incredibly important. Absolutely. And people looking at analysts as, or BI as a cost center are, are not up with the times because incremental changes have exponential impact. And if you can move the needle a little bit early in the funnel, you're going to have huge impacts down the line. Ryan, is there anything else you'd like to touch upon before we, we ask where people can find you online to network? No, I, I think, you know, this has been a super exciting. I think it's uh, analytics in general is a passion of mine. Go to market analytics is even more so. So I really do appreciate you having me on. And, and um, yeah, thank you. Oh, thanks so much for being here. Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, if, if you're looking for me online, I, I'm pretty quiet. Uh, I have a LinkedIn. You know, you can LinkedIn uh, take a look at me at, at Ryan Salazar at um, LinkedIn. And otherwise, um, you know, I'm in a couple of analytics Slack <laughs> Slack channels that I, I think maybe a couple of couple of people would be into. But um, yeah, you could probably find me on LinkedIn. That would be the, the primary spot. Yeah, I'm going to need to know those Slack channels and we'll link them in the show notes. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. A locally optimistic, uh, the DBT Slack community, Brooklyn Data Co's uh, Slack channel. Those are the primary ones right now. Yeah. 
Wonderful, wonderful. And for those of you listening, if you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell two friends. It really does make a difference. And if you're looking for more great content like this, check out calibermind.com. <laughs>